Hey, what's going on, y'all? This is Lionel Mosby Jr. in here again with my good friend, Adrian Rowe, uh, my good friend, Justin Robinson, and you already know what it is. It's our point of view. We're so excited um, to be in with you again. This is our third podcast, man. I mean, this is crazy how quick it's going, um, but we're so excited. We're going to be bringing to you some exciting topics this week. I know everybody already understands what's going on in the country. I know you've been watching. I know you've been peering at your window, trying to figure out if they still counting or what's going on. Doc, they still counting to this day, I'm pretty sure. But it's okay because we actually already have an answer to the question of who's going to be the next POTUS, the 46th, and that is Joe Biden. So we're definitely going to talk a little bit about that today with the election. And we got a good friend coming in. Um, somebody that Adrian knows extremely well, but we'll tell you about that at the beginning of the second segment as we want to dive into a topic on male vulnerability. But anyway, how you guys doing? What's going on in y'all world right now, man? Tell us a little bit about what's been going on this past week with y'all. Man, it's been a it's been an interesting week, man. Honestly, it's been like a, a you know a nail biter. You know when you, you're anticipating, like you know when you're watching a movie and you know something crazy or is about to happen um you may not know exactly what and so your heart's beating fast i feel like that's how my week has been um but you know on, on that seventh day um god rested and trump's gonna be resting as well uh so um Mercy. it's been <laughs> it's gonna be it's been a, it's been a really good week man just coming off the the back of that election and so i guess we can get jump into that conversation and we'll talk a little bit when when my um, good boy john o the giant hops in on here uh, about a little bit about vulnerability but so let's let's talk about how you guys felt tuesday when you when you went to bed when you went to sleep maybe expecting to see you know, a new president. What was going on in y'all, you guys' head? Don't all jump in at once. <laughs> well, I guess uh, I'm not sure what's happening. I can't hear you guys, but I guess I. Hello, you there? Yeah. Go ahead. No, I mean, I just honestly, I'm I'm still marveling at the fact that four years ago, the majority of this country thought it would be a good idea to elect a real estate agent to be president of the United States. <laughs> I mean, no, no offense, Lionel, but... I, 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 just, I just can't, I can't wrap my, my brain around that concept still. And I know it's, it, it's over now, but I, I, I still, even though Trump is out of office now, I, I still can't believe it to this day. Yeah. And, and, and it's so many things around this election that it's, I've never seen or never witnessed before, you know, because when you think about like how long it took for them to count, you know, votes, like we've never seen this before. I mean, I was telling Lana this the other day, like when Obama won, like we knew by 12 or one o'clock, you know, when Trump won um, four years ago, we knew by 12 or one o'clock. Well, we knew, the, we knew the next morning. Well, yeah, but I, I just I just didn't understand like what was the process? Because when you think about it, I don't know if you're, you guys ever watch American Idol. 
long time. <laughs> I know yes, we watched American Idol, and yes, we've heard this stale joke, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish what you're going to say. Yeah, but you guys, you guys know what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's so I, I think you have to factor in the, that there were there were mail in a lot of mail in ballots, primarily because of COVID, and so you know being in in large crowds. I remember when Obama's um, that year when he won the first time around. No, sorry, the second time around, um, where when they had you know I think it was him and. Um, was it John McCain? Was that the second time? I mean, the first time. I can't remember right now, but when the, the second election, uh, I mean, lines were packed. On, on, on my campus, we had, uh, you know, ballot booths and all that. So it was just crazy packed. So people couldn't do that this time around because of COVID. So a lot of mail-in ballots. And so I'm sure people had to count more than they've had, you know, if they had to run campaigns like these before, they had to count a lot more than they usually had to for mail-in ballots or absentee ballots. So that is something that, you know, took a long time. What about you, Lionel? Yeah, for me, I mean, I already thought that, you know what, it was going to take a while in general, just because of kind of the condition of what's going on right now um, with the whole COVID. Um, I didn't necessarily know how long it would take as far as, you know, taking that, you know, a lot of, um, people waited like, you know, what, four or five days after in order to like, you know, declare a winner, right? Um, and that may, that may still be some networks that still ain't declared a winner for all I know, right? You know right. what I'm saying? <laughs> because, and I think a part of that too was that some of these networks kind of called some stuff early last time, right? When Trump was uh, going up against Hillary and they didn't want to kind of put themselves out there just to kind of have to roll themselves back in. Right. You know what I mean? Um you know what I mean? But it just, it just really, you know what I mean? Um, it just really was interesting. But, you know, for me, about, you know, early on, I kind of was thinking like, you know what? Um, there was kind of my thought process was like, you know what, Trump actually might, might sweep this thing, right? But then when I, when I realized that, you know what, there was a lot of mail-in ballots that had to come in, um, after I saw kind of the numbers where they were, toward the late, late night as far as like 12. I think I didn't go to bed till like 12, like one o'clock or something like that. You know what I'm saying? I At that point, I started to feel like, you know what? I think Joe Biden actually is going to win this election, you know? And probably midday the next day, I already kind of knew like, yeah, I think it's it's pretty much sealed. Like I, based on the numbers and where they were, I'm like, I'm pretty sure Georgia is going to, based on where, um, where the votes left to be counted were from, which was mainly like Fulton County, mainly like um, the area by Savannah, right? It was ma major cities, right? Same thing with Pennsylvania. I'm talking about Philadelphia and Pittsburgh areas, right? And suburbs are the main areas that were still left to be counted, which are obviously a big, you know, Democratic strongholds. You know, Democrats basically rule the cities and, you know, the rural areas basically all Republican, right? That's kind of how everything falls, essentially, right? Um, and so based on those things, um, I was just like, man, you know what? He actually probably, you know, gonna end up winning all four of these states, which um, I don't know if they've called all of them, but I think he's basically gonna win all the four of the states, right? Um, and so anyway, uh, for me that time, I was just like, wow. Now it was, you know, I didn't have any anxiety or anything like that because, you know, I didn't really have a dog in the fight per se, but you know, I know a lot of people who did have dogs in the fight, right? And so it was just interesting to see kind of the turnout and hear the rhetoric that came out of 
everything as well. But, and, you know, I know we're probably getting to a little bit of that as well, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of it was, was surprising. So I kind of later on in the week, I was, I, you know, Biden's about to win. This is crazy. You know, and just calculating if he wins Arizona, if he wins Nevada, if he wins, I actually never thought he was going to win Georgia. But I'm thinking, you know, Pennsylvania, if he wins Pennsylvania and Virginia, you know, which is, this is a lot, but things started to, to change. The crazy thing for me was, you know, I think one particular person, I mean, there are a number of people who had to be considered heroes in this election. If you're wanting, if you're looking on the side for Joe Biden to win, and one of those people is Stacey, is Abrams. Yeah, Stacey Abrams. And so this is the, the, um, the, the, the African-American um, politician, Georgia. She was on the, the list for um, governor earlier. Uh, I think it was early this year sometime or late last year. And you know she, she lost narrowly, but it was estimated that she, along with her team, uh, registered 800,000 res residents to vote. Huge, huge numbers. And so, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due. That, that is just an insane amount of footwork because that's on the ground. Somebody said, hey, this is what happens when you, when you, uh, when somebody is denied, because, you know, people say, you know, she unfairly lost, but when you're denied something, you just work that much harder to get something that matters so much more. So, um, you got to congratulate her and applaud her for the efforts that she has done on the ground to be able to so many thousands of people. So, so um, Saturday morning, did you guys see that? When did you guys realize Biden won? Like when you got the official news? Uh, the official news? Yeah. I, I don't even know when I got the official news. Like I said, I already kind of, I already saw, you know, what it was. So I really kind of stopped paying that much, that much attention, but I think it probably was maybe Saturday night, I'm guessing. Saturday night. But you, you, I think when I texted you, I think you said you already knew that. You already expected it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I look, after, I, like I said, when I actually started, because, you know, I was really paying attention Tuesday and Wednesday, right? And I was like, man, I was loving the, the maps they had on CNN and Fox News, right? You could kind of like go in and look at the counties, look at the counts, look at percentages and et cetera, right? So I was really doing my, my political analysis thing, you feel me? You right. know, and, um, you know, and I, like I say, so after I really looked into the counties that were still left to count, et cetera, looking at like the numbers that were still left to come in, I'm like, oh yeah, he's, he's probably gonna end up winning all of these you know, states. Like the only two that I was thinking like he may not win was uh, Georgia and North Carolina. I was like, you know, that is going to North Carolina. I was like, it's kind of a lot already. Um, that's called in Georgia. I'm like, he's still so close to them. He easily can win Georgia if all these votes coming from these two city areas. I mean, I know ATL going to turn out crazy. So, um, so anyway, it, you know, I, I pretty much had already knew. So it really didn't change. I wasn't shocked or anything. It wasn't like, oh, shoot, he won. Like, I already knew he was going to win. Yeah. It, you know, it's crazy. Another thing to note is that Georgia had not voted blue since Bill Clinton won in 92. So they had not, for that's almost 30 years, almost 30, 28 years. That, that is a long time. What do y'all think about Texas, though? Because I know early on, early, early on, 
Texas actually was blue and not red, which was kind of crazy. So what did y'all think about that? Let's, uh, let's ask Justin. Justin's a diehard, you know, resident of Texas and loves everything Texas. What did you think, Justin? Were you disappointing your people? No, I mean, I, I think my uh, my state showed up and showed out, you know what I mean? So I was I was really proud of everything they, they accomplished. You know, they showing like, hey, man, this this, this state is going to be one. It's going to turn blue one day. You're going to see it. You think so? Yeah. I have, just, I, give it, just give it four years. I just have I have as much faith in Texas turning blue as I do Florida turning blue. So take take with that what you think. Uh, but Texas is, you know, Texas is is red and forever is going to be red, just like Mississippi is going to be red and forever going to be red. I disagree. Why? Yes, is that? Okay. Could you go, um, ahead? But, go ahead? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. It's it's okay. This is this is why I think that we gotta we gotta recognize the problem that like when I think we had this conversation about um, Florida. You know, when you think of like Miami, when you think about state uh, Orlando and Jacksonville and Tampa, these just progressive places in in Florida. That's what you think about when you think of Florida. You don't think about places like uh, Ocala, Okeechobee. You don't think of places like Sanford and and all these like more rural places um, or not just rural, but not as metro as like, these other places. But at the end of the day, it's, those are where the people live. Those are where the, the, the Republican uh, supporters are, are, are. And so they're coming out in droves, right? And so, you know, I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm sure not everybody also in those major cities are, you know, liberal or democratic, however you want to look at it, or, or are looking to support those type of candidates. So for me, it's, it's realizing that Florida, Florida will be blue in, in, in mid, um, Miami. It'll be blue in Fort Lauderdale. It'll be blue in West Palm Beach. You know what I mean? But it's not going to be blue in Okeechobee. That's not going to happen. You feel what I'm saying? So I feel like it's the same thing in Texas. Texas maybe, you know, it's interesting. I would expect Houston to be blue just because of my experience of living there. But I mean, ten, you think about it, and Justin probably knows this better than, than any of us. But there are still a lot of people, a lot of Trump supporters in in Houston, people that matter too, like people that have a, a large voice. So it wouldn't be surprising for me if you know Houston, the biggest city in Texas, is red. You know what I mean? It's not red. Um, you know, let's be clear about Houston, right? Houston had the last mayor before Sylvester Turner, who is who is black, by the way. You know what I'm saying? And democratic, right? Um, and by the way, for all those listening, I'm, I'm politically agnostic, right? I love that statement. Politically you know I'm agnostic. So I'm politically agnostic, you feel me? So I ain't got, I'm not for either party. You know what I'm saying? At, at the most, I'm, I think that there should be more purple parties. You know what I'm saying? Meaning like not red, not blue, a totally different color, okay? So, but I would say Houston, Sylvester Turner, black, democratic, right? The previous mayor, right? Not just uh, not just a woman, not just democratic, but gay, right? Lesbian. You see what I'm saying? So Houston is definitely blue, right? Austin, where the state legislature is in Texas, which is all, which is very weird, right? Austin is the most blue, okay, out of all the cities, okay? You know what I'm saying? Very liberal uh, city in Austin, right? So you know Texas on a, on a large scale, right, is blue. And this is why, based on the movement, I'm looking at the movement of the state of Texas. I'm not just simply looking at the fact of what it has been historically, but 
but I'm looking at the fact that, for example, Houston is, is projected to be the third largest city by the end of next year, you know, beginning 2022, they're supposed to overtake Chicago. Why? Because people are still moving to Texas because, you know, people people know that the cost of living here, you know what I'm saying, the opportunities, you know, work-wise, et cetera, right, it's great still here, right? And where are those people moving from? They're moving from areas, right, that are traditionally blue areas. Doesn't mean that they're particularly blue, per se, right? But again, when you think about percentage-wise, if they're coming from Cali, if they're coming from the Midwest, the Northeast, right, they're traditionally, right, blue areas, right? So the truth is, those are the people that's moving down here. And when we look at the numbers in, in, in Texas, right, it's not, we look at the numbers this year as far as the total vote count in Texas. It wasn't a huge, large-scale difference between who voted for Trump, how many voted for Trump, and how many voted for uh, Joe Biden, right? And, and I'm, I'm looking at based on the movement, right, of those peoples, based on the movement of um, Latinos, for example, right, into the state, it definitely has the potential to change and become definitely a battleground state into the future. The issue with Florida, which is also part of the issue with uh, our things that will have to be worked on with Texas, is with Florida, those cities were not blue. They were they were North Carolina blue, I meaning they were light blue. They were Tar Heel blue. You feel me? Why? Because the truth is, the, the, a large population of the Latinos, right, voted for. Republican, right? Voted for Trump, right? So the truth is, that is kind of the um, the swing vote in Florida. And so if 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 the cities aren't completely dark blue, then that's why they're not going to win. If, 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 the, if Florida, if the cities of Florida were actually dark blue, where they won them like they won Pennsylvania, like they won Pittsburgh, and like they won um, uh, Philadelphia, he would have won Florida this year. You know what I'm saying? But the truth is, that's not what it was, right? And so based on that, those movements of people, that's why I'm looking and saying, no, Texas definitely got the opportunity to become a blue state, right? And the large population of the Hispanics in this in this state is Mexicans, right? Versus, you know, the, the, the population of Hispanics in Florida obviously come from different cultures, right? But Mexico is the largest population of those who are here in Texas, right? And they have a totally different view to Trump than, um, than I think some of those other Latino voters do. So that's my thought process on it. No, I feel you. Listen, and, and I get it. But when you look at the the, the electoral map, right, or not the, just the, the popular vote map of Texas, you have pockets of blue. I mean, you couldn't feel, you have so much red that if you removed all the blue, there's still more room. You get what I'm saying? There's so much, so many people, every county, Every city outside of the major cities, Dallas, Austin, Houston, San Antonio, and El Paso are red. Every one of them. So yeah, I mean but 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 show me what show me where that's not the case in any state other outside of California, New York, or whatever, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the reality is if no, I'm I'm because I'm being honest, right? When you look at Pennsylvania, let's go look at the map right now of Pennsylvania. It's completely red, and then you have blue in Scranton. Blue in Pittsburgh, blue in Philadelphia. That's the reality. You see what I'm saying? You go look at Ohio, it's the same thing, right? Cleveland, then you look at Columbus, right? Completely blue, everything else red. Same thing in Michigan. Michigan, almost completely red. Guess where it's blue at? Detroit, where you got the largest amount of people in that state, right? That's the case across the board in every, in every state that the Democrats, right, they own the cities. But if they don't completely own the cities, that's when they got trouble, right? You know what I'm saying? So 
the rural areas are all all red. You know what I'm saying? It's like a paintbrush went across the whole United States and it's all red. You feel me? You know what I'm saying? So it tells you like uh we're gonna kind of end with this. We gotta move on to the next topic, but it kind of tells you someone said, Man, now is the time more than ever where you know you kind of question our society, you know, especially if you would have won again. Like I expect it. I'm like, yo, I know Republicans also are tired of this man, you know. So I was like, this is this gonna be a crazy like landslide victory for for Biden? But it was such a narrow victory that it it you you bring into your mind like, what's the moral of the in, moral of the country? And so and then people have they have these conversations where they make excuses for 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 him, you know. And in the end of the day, it's like for me, I'm like you. I don't have I don't have a, a particular political party. I'm not really I don't care about that. I care about people and I care about how policies affect people on a large scale and, and even a small scale. Um, but at the end of the day, you can see like the the you know someone said you gotta have morals, you know, you gotta have good character. Uh, you don't want somebody who doesn't have those basic things in life, good character, you know, at the end of the day, um, when, when it's all said and done, you care about the people, not us, only a certain group of people. And so that was just one of my biggest issues with this man. And, and but, you know, people excuse it for whatever reason. But, um, you know, we could talk about this <laughs> we could talk about all day, but we got to move on to our next topic. Hey, before we, before we move on, I just want to say, um, wh what did you guys think about that? Uh, that Paula White calling for the angels to come from Africa? Oh, yes, man. Oh, my goodness. Listen, anything for ratings, anything for for like it was it was crazy, man. It was it was despicable. At first, I was like, "What is she talking about? Angels from Africa? What what angels in Africa?" Uh, Kurt Franklin was like, "Angels aren't geographical. You got it wrong." I was like, "What are you talking about, lady?" It was crazy. I I like Kevin. I like Kevin like stage response. You know, uh, you better call the angels from the outfield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I thought it was hilarious. You know what I'm saying? I think that was, I, that was a multitude of people false prophesying would say it like that, right? Based on these things, and I would love to hear a lot of the evangelicals take them to task on that because hey, these are people that you say that you follow, right? That's supposed to be preaching the word of God. You know what I mean? And anyway, that's that's what happens when we get hung up on it on an individual and yeah. think that that individual, right, is somehow the savior or whatever you want to call it, right? But this is why, again, people, the people of, of our point of view, this is why we need a third party, okay? So I, 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 this is why, this is what we need to talk about. We need to talk about going purple. Not going blue, not going red, but going purple. But we'll, we'll take that for another time. All right, what's up, everybody? Are we back? And we got a special guest with us right now today, my good friend, Jono the Giant. Yes, sir. And that name really, he lives up to that name in every aspect. <laughs> hey, man, so we want to welcome you to our point of view podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. We got some topics we want to talk about, but specifically, we're going to be talking about vulnerability and male vulnerability to be exact. But before we kind of get into that, just a couple of questions uh, about you and, you know, fill the people in about who you are and what you do for a living. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, I appreciate you guys for having me on, man. Um, uh, I, I, there's something about podcasts that I love so much. I feel like it's just like a free flowing environment. You can speak and you can, you can express 
it's a very easy way like to get your point of view no pun intended yeah <laughs> to, to the world you know i lo- i love that them that that title too is really really good oh um, thank you yeah yeah oh okay so you came up with it huh justin <laughs> <laughs> you know it yeah yeah nah good stuff though but um just a little bit about me man uh first and foremost a husband father of two boy and a girl four and six years old um i'm a therapist a marriage and family therapist to be exact um i'm an entrepreneur as well um I uh, really just help people who are in relationships to get to the next level, to thrive in their relationships, and also those who have come out of a broken relationship to help them build their lives back up again and um, show them that there's like more more than enough light at the end of the tunnel for them to continue moving forward. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I guess that's just a short, short version of myself. That's what I do on a day to day basis. Yeah. So I, I guess just a little backstory. So we went to to college together. Yeah. A number of years ago. Yeah. And, uh, Not that many number of years ago. Come on now. Years, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he said it right. He said it right the first time. <laughs> Come on now. When when you first. <laughs> To, to the illustrious Oakwood University mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. You were, were you an education major? Yeah, yeah, I was. I was an education major, man. Um, I was religious education, to be exact. And it was like my last semester there, and I was doing my uh, externship. And I was at a school in the classroom, and it just didn't feel right to me. It was like, man, I, I feel like this is not where I need to be. So I really did some meditating, did some praying, did some fasting for a whole week, week and a half. And from that week and a half, I I was led to like three different people. Um, One of them being my wife, another one and two others being good friends of mine, you know, them Chris Holloway and then Katie Ann. And I asked them like, you know, what do you guys see me as? And they all, this is all different times. They all said counselor. Yeah. And I was like, it was like, yeah, you give good advice, especially on relationships. I was like, hmm, okay. So um, I finished up the program, and then a year later, I made that shift and uh, got into a marriage and family therapy program. Like, listen, the best decision I ever made, man. I grew so much, um, just understanding really about myself a lot, and um, yeah, I just that made that pivot from there. Yeah, and it's it's crazy to say that because I remember. I remember being being at Oakwood and you were just that guy, you know, if anybody just needed someone to talk to that's not going to be biased, that mm-hmm. was going to listen and give good advice, mm-hmm. you know, you were that guy. And so when you went, when you made that transition and that change, it just, it made sense, you know, it just, mm, it was yeah. like, absolutely. Yeah. You couldn't do the other thing, but it just felt like that was just your, your something you. Yeah, to yeah definitely. And I, I think from before it's like, where I come from, being from Miami, growing up here, um, <clears throat> I like a little bit before I I, um, I got to Oakwood, I was at a church. I was very involved in that church, and I was one of the leaders at that church. So I really loved that. So I, I just thought, like, okay, I'm, I'm leading young people, so um, let me 
maybe this is what I need to be doing. Maybe I need to go be a chaplain or something like that, you know? But what I didn't realize throughout that whole time, I was always giving people relationship advice. <laughs> that that whole time. And it's not until I made that switch. Not, not really. It's not until, like, I would say maybe, like, a year ago. Because I kind of tried to run from it. Even though I got the masters and everything, I tried to kind of run from it, like, for, like, a year or something. And then I realized that, oh, I've been doing this this whole time. This is definitely where I need to be. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, well let's get into it. So one of the first questions um, we want to ask is, you know, your shirt says that vulnerability is not weakness, it's strength. Right. How, how do you define that? Or what, that, what does that look like when you say someone to be vulnerable or what it means to be vulnerable? Man, I'm, listen, man, I, I feel like there's degrees of vulnerability um, even myself, man, I'm still like literally just having a conversation with one of my friends last night. I realized that, man, I still have some ways to go in being vulnerable myself. Um, especially for us as men, um, men of color, <laughs> yeah. vulnerability. What is that? Yeah. Like that doesn't exist. Right. Because every, from a young age, we're told, Oh, if you cry, you know, don't cry. You're a boy, suck it up. Don't whine, so on and so forth. So we've been programmed at a very young age, not to be in tune with how we truly feel. And then when we get older, we're like rock solid, you know, can't get through to us. We have all these different emotions and we're coping in different ways and we don't understand really what's going on. Mm -hmm. So for me, vulnerability is being, being able to show up in the room and be who you are authentically, like your full self, flaws and everything. And then, you know what? That's, that's really tough. Mm-hmm. That's, when Very. you, you know, we're going to talk about this more specifically, but when you grow up in an environment where you're, it's not okay. As a man, and, you know, let's say, you know, for me, I'm an, I'm an emotional guy, mm-hmm. right? There are certain things that, you know, the quote unquote typical guy is not going to be moved to tears by. Right. I'm, guys that will be and so yeah in the environment in the creative environment you what, you what are you crying for yeah you soft you weak absolutely break those barriers absolutely and it, I, I relate to that so much because as a kid i was that cry baby yeah i used to cry for everything man like everything but there came a point in time where I don't know what it was. I just embraced it. I'm like, yo, this is, this is who I am, man. This is how I show my emotion. Like, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. It is what it is. And so for me, when I embraced it and I accepted it for myself, it literally became a superpower of mine where, and you know it, because we've been in rooms with multiple guys and I just be like, hey, yeah, this is what's going on. This is what I'm struggling with. This, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's okay to do that. <laughs> and, you know, it just kind of like, you know, opens up the room for other men to be free. So I realized that, yo, me being vulnerable and expressive, whether in tears or in words, was just a, a powerful thing, especially for me. And the way I thought about it is like, yo, I'm normally the, the tallest and biggest person in the room. Yeah. So if I could be vulnerable, you ain't got no excuse. Not to be vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. No, I think that makes sense. And I think what you said is, is powerful, like being able to be authentically you, right? Yeah. And um, that kind of leads into a question that I, that I had, um, because a lot of times you we aren't ourselves based on kind of 
internal, but also external pressure, right? Mm -hmm. And so for men, uh, what, what is it about men that you you think makes us less vulnerable than, for example, uh, women, for example? Or um, is it something in society? Is it something um, culturally? Like, what is it that tends to make men less vulnerable? Yeah, I, I think it's a blend. You know, it's like, you know, if you want to... <clears throat> You know, if you want to have a good pizza, you know, or lasagna, you know, there's ingredients that you got to put into it, right? So it's a blend of things. It is uh, culturally, it's definitely society in general, but also there is, you know, characteristics of a male and a female. There's We have different characteristics where women are just softer, they're more caring, they're more expressive with their words. They're more in tune with their feelings. They'll, a lot of them will cry at the drop of a dime. Um, but for men, it's just a different type of vibe. It's, it's just totally different. So we are, from a very young, early age, you know, we were taught, you know, you, you fight, you know, you physically fight, you get what you want. You have to be the the quote unquote man in the room at a very young age. Um, I think another thing is for a lot of men, and I think this also, this vulnerability piece also plays a major role on why men can't come together and work together with no egos, mm. because it's like, we're always in competition with one another versus women, females. It's like, yo, they could gather together and they could do things. For example, um, no, no knock on the Trayvon Martin Foundation, but I've, I've been able to speak for them a couple of times. And in the Trayvon Martin Foundation, they're like two different divisions. There's like the circle of fathers division, where it's just for the men. And then there's the women division. And I look at the dynamic, the women are just like, they're taking over the streets. Like Trayvon's mom was running for commissioner and everything. It's like, she has so much support from so many different women, but it was like the men are kind of just like dragging along, not really putting their heads together. And it's like, that's just like a microcosm of how we are as men. And I believe it's because we're not, it's, it's very challenging for us to put our egos aside it's very challenging for us to be open with one another in a very vulnerable way to re reach a certain goal most of the times. Gotcha. So in your experience, so, you know, growing, whether it's growing up or even uh, recently when you had to deal <laughs> with men, how, how do you get to the point or how do you see other men getting to the point of opening up and being vulnerable or putting aside those things where they can talk about things that are difficult and tough for them. Yeah. First and foremost, man, men, when it comes to emotions, we're like concrete, like wet cement that dried up. (laughs) It's man. I got some, listen, I got some men that I'm working with one-on-one counseling. First and foremost, it takes us too damn long to come to counseling. That's number one, because the pride, the vulnerability is not there, right? But then when you actually do get into the room, it's like literally concrete. So what I would try to, I had to really switch my, 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 uh, my approach when it came to men versus women because with men, with women, it's kind of like they already come with the cracks in the concrete. 
So it's easy to take the sledgehammer and the nail and just break it. Yeah. Versus men, it's solid. There's no cracks. There's no room. So I got to chisel and chisel. And, ch- and that chiseling takes a long time. But I noticed the key. The key to getting men to opening up is, and, I, and I've done this for so long, and Adrian, you've experienced this with me. Right. I'm always, I always make myself available emotionally. I'm like, this is what I'm going through in my relationship. This right. is the thoughts that I've had. This is the feelings that I've had. And it's like, man, like I had a client, I just like, one of the, uh, is a, a very well-known DJ here in Miami. He became one of my clients uh, not too long ago. And I'm asking him like, you know, how did that make you feel? Like, he's like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, bro, you know, that's what I'm thinking in my mind. Like, you know, okay. But then what I was able to do, and I was like practical things. So what I was able to do, I was like, you know, we, we started talking about his childhood and, you know, his dad not being there in his life, so on and so forth. And I was like, how does that make you feel? He's like, but I never really thought about it. And I don't know where this came from, but it came to the conversation that episode, all of us know this episode. It is the infamous episode where Will Smith's dad comes, he breaks his promise, and then he yep. starts boohoo crying. Everybody knows that. Yeah, so yep. we started talking about that. Listen, now I'm not talking about DJ Khaled, bro. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I'm going to get there one day, though. Um, but, um, man, you know, um, once I brought up the episode, he was like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I said, so when you saw that, what were you thinking? He was like, man, that was messed up. And he started talking a little bit more. And I was like, you know what? This is what I want you to do. For homework, I want you to go watch that episode again and write down exactly how you feel in that moment. Because he expressed to me, he was like, yeah, you know, I got teary eyed. I said, I think every single person that ever saw that episode got teary eyed. But why are you getting teary eyed? And so it's just those little things that help break that, that, that concrete, like really get into it. But I would say the main thing is just me just constantly exhibiting self disclosure continually talking about myself and like, yeah, you know, I felt this way. Yeah. I struggle with anger issues. Yeah. I'm still growing in this area. Really? Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I mean, like, honestly, I think I cried when, uh, James from good times had uh, passed away. You know, I think that's one of the most hardest, uh, you know, watching episodes I've ever seen. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was bad too. That was bad too. I remember that. Yeah. James from Good Times. He was just no longer there. Yeah. That was kind of strange when he passed away too. It kind of shifted the show. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that's, um, I was just going to com- make a comment. Yeah. I think that's, that makes so much sense, right? Um, of how you even led um, your client, like you said, down that path to be able to kind of get in touch with something that's internal that mm-hmm. is almost so natural, right? Because it's, mm-hmm. it's because I really, really believe it's not that it's not that men are doing these things on purpose, right? It's like, oh, I got this emotion, I'm necessarily hiding it per se, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's really a thing of I don't know, because like I've been so trained, it's been so entrenched in me yes. to not have emotions, right? It's yes. been so entrenched in me to not even that I wanna not say not have emotions, but to not dwell on the emotions that I am having. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it really, really takes time to to really dig in and figure out like what is this thing and I, and yeah. I remember even for me going back in my past right and really thinking about you know 
relationships I seen my mom and my dad and how they interacted and things of that mm-hmm. nature. It was only when I really saw those things that I started to understand. Oh, that is literally why I do this specific mm. thing, right? That, exactly. That, that that's why it's hard for me to communicate. I never saw my my dad communicate with my mom yep. in, in in a way that's like really loving per se, right? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So now I understand why it's so hard for me to express to a woman, right? Mm-hmm. In these ways, like I can act it out, I could do the things, right? But yeah. the actual words of it coming out, but yeah. but it wasn't until I really looked back and saw, like, oh, this this is where it came from. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so, like, I think that's so big of getting us back to that point. But it, like you say, it's so hard. So other other than other than, for example, using kind of these situations where we kind of have these common ground. I know you spoke about. Um, um, you know, you speaking, right? You being vulnerable, right? Um, mm-hmm. You being open. That's one way. You also spoke about um, kind of using, uh, a, a, some, I guess, a cultural landmark, I say, right? This yeah. uh, situation with Will Smith, you know, um, Justin brought up good times, right? What are other ways that you see that has helped to kind of um, allow men to open up, you know what I mean, to actually be more vulnerable, to even know themselves even more? Mm-hmm. And let me, uh-huh. let me get to that. Uh-huh. Specifically, because one of the things that we we want to be able to do in this platform is to give men resources and tips in which they can do it among themselves, you know, because mm-hmm. the reality matter is a lot of people may not go to the therapist, even though yeah. I, and everybody, it's just, it's a life-changing experience. Mm-hmm. But how can we, when we in, engage with our friends, our male friends, help that process of vulnerability? Mm-hmm. So you're talking about when you're engaging with your male friends, how can you help that process of vulnerability to help them be vulnerable? Right. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think what's, what's most important is thinking about you as a person. Like if you want to, if you want other men or your other friends to be vulnerable, then you have to walk around. You have to embody that energy. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have to be that guy. And for me, what I became this way because I had a good friend of mine growing up, like when I was around like 18, 19, and he was maybe about like 23, 24, like we always rode everywhere together. He was that, that, that image of vulnerability for me. So because he was that image of vulnerability for me and he came from a similar place that I came from, he didn't grow up with his dad and I looked up to him. I started to see that, wow, this thing actually works. So I took upon that myself and it really shifted my mind on exactly the power of vulnerability because we develop a great relationship by him being vulnerable. So it's kind of like, you know, like the gospel message type thing. Like, Oh yeah. Like this is the good news. Hey, you know, Jesus came, he saved you, whatever. And you live that out. And everybody's like, Hmm, you look so happy in life. I feel so miserable. What makes you so happy? Well, this is why. Right. But it's the same thing when people start seeing me, like I'm just kind of carefree. It, to me, it doesn't really matter. Like you could, <laughs> you can see it. Oh, because oh, my wife she writes blogs. You can see it in her blogs. You can see it in my in my videos on IG. You can see everything. Like everything is just like me sharing of myself. So when you start to embody that vulnerability, like you really believe it, it's a core belief of yours. Then 
you kind of low key put pressure on your friends to be vulnerable as well. Mm-hmm. Because what's going to end up happening is they are not going to be able to stay in the same room in the same place as you because it's like when you were vulnerable, you kind of challenge that person and how they think and how they feel and how they go about handling certain situations. But if they stay with you, then they realize like, hmm, man, this is actually good for me because that's what happened to me. It's like, man, this is actually a good thing. Yeah. And they start living that out. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Makes perfect sense. So, uh, so we talk about a little bit of uh, interaction with other males. And, and so I, I'm, I'm a firm believer when we are able to, as men, be vulnerable with men that we trust, we respect, we can open up and, and talk about things that are difficult, especially, you know, when you're, for example, in a marriage relationship and you have another male friend who's in the same position, you guys can yeah. ideas off each other or talk yeah. about some of the struggles and yeah. encourage one another. Right. I think that can help make our relationship with other people with the opposite sex much better. Absolutely. So definitely that was one of my questions I had is how do you see that lack of vulnerability affects relationships, whether romantic? No, that's that's a really that's a that's a really, really, really good question. Um, I would start off by talking about the romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. The thing is. This is, I haven't tested this out or anything yet, but it's just a theory that I have based off of what, I, what I've seen over the years. When a man is in a romantic relationship, and you know, if you're in a romantic relationship, married, not married, but if you're in a romantic relationship and you've been in it for some time, you already know that you're gonna have some disagreements. You're gonna have some challenges. You're going to have some days where you're just not on the same page. You're not seeing things eye to eye. Maybe, I know this is for me, you have doubts. like, dang, why did I do this? Did I do this too early? Did I, why did I do this? So on and so forth. When you have that other male contemporary who is in the same position as you, that you can go and you can talk to about this thing, and they're vulnerable in a way like, yo, you know, hey, you know, I, I get it. This is, you know this is normal, this happened to me, so on and so forth. It really normalizes your situation in your relationship and it really prepares you or it helps you to reconcile with your partner. However, the thing about men is that a lot of times with us, we don't have that other male counterpart. We don't have that other male contemporary. So, but we usually have, we usually confide in women. Hmm. So now you're going to have, you're going to confide in another woman and then there's going to be an emotional attachment and that's how affairs usually start up. So this is how, and, and and I really don't think as men, we don't really see it that way, but this is why having other males to talk to, especially in romantic relationships is super, super important it definitely the lack of vulnerability definitely definitely will hurt your romantic relationship why i say lack of vulnerability with uh another male Hmm. what about in like go ahead is there uh, such thing as um you know a guy being too vulnerable man 
that's a very good question. My gut tells me no. I don't think so. I do think, though, I do believe that you have to have a core group of people that you can kind of talk to about certain things. Like, you can't just be out and open with everybody about your business and how you're feeling because um, you just don't know how people are going to take it. For me, I'm a different. I can meet you for the first time. If we have a one-on conversation, I'm going to tell you a lot. That's just how, that's just how I am. I'm going to tell you a lot. I have no problem doing that. That's that's the approach I've taken because I just don't care. My wife is okay with it, so I, I don't care because from my in my mind, I'm like I'm here to help you. I know if I share with you, I'm going to help you. However, if that's not you, I still believe you have to have a you know like two or three guys that you could kind of talk to about things that are troubling. Like you can be like freely vulnerable with anything. Yeah, I, I think um, just thinking about what you said uh, reminds me of, I mean, it reminds me of my life, I guess, right? Um, because truthfully, when I think about the mistakes that I've made um, in relationships, when it comes to romantic relationships, right? Um, when it comes to significant others, et cetera, when I thought about it, right, and I went through kind of my whole, um, my time with God when he really kind of rustled me to the ground, right, I really start to realize that the primary reason that I made the mistakes that I made, because it wasn't as if I was just out willy-nilly just trying to do crazy stuff, right? Yeah, that, yep. that wasn't the thing, right? Exactly, um, yeah. But the, but the reality was I saw that, man, I didn't have – individuals around me, men mm -hmm. around me, right, who I could go and just lay things on, right, and say, mm -hmm. this is really what it is, right? Because because I know if I would have done that, then I know that I would have had the help, the counsel, the encouragement, et cetera, to make the right moves, to exactly. make the right decisions in those exactly. times. And that was really what, it, it was me not being willing to be vulnerable, right, to share yeah. certain things with guys that really affected it. And I think the other side of it too, even like what you said, and it, it just brought to mind, those people also have to be people who you know are, can speak into your life and experience, right? It can't just mm -hmm. be anybody, somebody saying, yeah, I hear, I hear you, bro. You know what I mean? Whatever, whatever, <laughs> right? Like you, you, need, you need guys who can tell you like, you need to go and do thus and so. Yeah. And you know that's what you should do, right? Exactly. You need those type of brothers, right? Yeah. It's not just any... Any brother, right? You know, yeah. what I mean? you need to actually have brothers who are actually real brothers who are looking out for your salvation, mm -hmm. your benefit. You know what I mean? Uh, the benefit of your relationship, etc. Um, but I did see in my life and experience. I'm like, this is the reason why, you know, the Lord allowed me to fall to these depths is because of the mistake that I made by not having and not mm -hmm. being willing, right, to be vulnerable with the people He placed around me. Mm -hmm. so. Absolutely. Yep. You hit that on the money there, Lionel, for sure, 100. percent so here's a, here's another question. Um, when and if you guys have another question, you know you can um, jump in at any time. But another question we have right here is: to be vulnerable, do you have to cry? Nah, <laughs> nah. Yeah, you don't have to cry. I mean, some people are criers, some people are not. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't have to cry. Like crying. Well, I always let people know, crying is a form of communication. 
it's just you're just communicating that I'm feeling a certain way. When people yell and scream, arguing, that's a form of communication. Like you're communicating that something's hurting, something is wrong. I'm disappointed. Like, so there's no real like, there's no like, oh well, if you're not crying, you're not nah. You know, everybody's different. Yeah. Me, I, 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 me, I need to cry. I need to cry so I can get this thing out. Once I cry, I feel much better. I'm like, yo, let me get this thing out. I boohoo, break down crime. And then once I get it out, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm good, you know? You know what that was, I was thinking the other day, I was like, man, you know, I mentioned earlier that I'm, I'm usually like more e- emotional. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, you know, where that came from. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was a kid, so my dad was like, he has always been for me a superhero, right? He's been there in my life and he's been somebody that I've always tried to model my life after, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a kid. Mm-hmm. And um, so I remember when we used to pray sometimes, he'd pray for like family, especially like his mom and his siblings who were back in the Bahamas and he'd cry sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought, I never thought my dad was a weak man. I always thought he was a man's man. But mm-hmm. seeing him for the first time cry, I was like, it's okay. You know, mm-hmm. me crying. Mm-hmm. He watching him cry made mm-hmm. me cry. Mm-hmm. And I'm there's a couple of times where we, he and just he and I, you know, my sisters would leave and go with my mom for a time, mm-hmm. and he'd hug me and we cry together. You know what I mean? Wow. And opened up my heart. But like, I cried. You know me that there's like yeah, he's just about to cry. Yo, give him a minute. You know? <laughs> no, that's heavy. That's good. And you know, that's really good because I have a totally different experience. Right. With crying, my experience is that because of the way I grew up, um, my, my father abandoned my mother and I in a cold basement of Chicago, Illinois, South Side Chicago. Uh, my mother, she was trying her best to get things together, but she just could never get her footing right. And I'm having like five more kids with three other different men. I was left in the hands of my grandparents. Grandfather passed away when I was uh, five years old. My grandfather... I have a lot, even though he passed away when I was five, I have a lot of memories with him, right? But I didn't grow up with that father figure in the home. And because my grandmother's just trying to find ways to make ends meet and make things happen, I never had anyone to like really, really express how I truly felt. I never had anyone to really talk to about anything as a kid, especially growing up in the Caribbean culture, Haitian culture. They're not trying to hear all that. Like adults are not trying to like hear you out. They're not trying to hear how you feel. Listen, boy, you just need to be going to school or whatever. Like there's so many things that happened to me in my life as a kid that I went through all these things alone. So it's like, once I get an opportunity, it's like it comes to a point where, you know, after a while, the cup is going to be filled and it's going to overflow. So that's my crying is like, it's like the cup is being filled gradually. And then eventually the cup overflows and I just got to let everything out mm-hmm. because I didn't have anyone to, to help me through my emotions. I didn't have that male figure or that woman figure to really help me out through certain emotional things that I was going through. Yes. Go ahead, Lionel. Yeah, yeah. I would just, um, you know, those thought processes reminded me of when I, because for me it was really tough to cry. Like it has always been, like tough to cry for the longest time. And I remember, mm-hmm. um, 
I wrote, I believe, two or three poems, you know, that actually kind of was dealing with like crying and that that thing of, you know, it being tough. But I remember one um, one line that I wrote as I, you know, became, you know, kind of was coming to the church, you know, and it was like, you know, I was so concerned about a man's rep until I learned Jesus wept, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, um, and really just seeing Bars the emotions that the really emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. <laughs> but really the emotions that God had though. Right. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah. he, he really just showed like, this is the picture of what a real man is. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Jesus is the picture of the real man. Mm-hmm. And so even though, because when I went through my, you know, I, I feel as if I, I had my conversion process, but you know, this, this process is daily. Right. And so I had a re reconversion process. Right. Mm-hmm. And during that time period, it really made me think it, God really took me back to a lot of things in my past that I didn't see and recognize had so much effect on me and yeah. my today, me and my relationship, me and yeah. my relationship, even with him, you know, mm-hmm. and that's when I really learned how, how serious it is to be a father, you know what mm. I'm saying? Because our view and our relationship with God even is affected by, Hey, this person that I've seen so long, you know what I mean? As a father, now when I'm hearing about this father, right, that's over the universe, I'm still connecting a lot of things with what I saw in, in my past, right? Absolutely. Even in me speaking of actual scriptures, but yet my reality of it yep. is tied to actually what I saw, right? Exactly. And so yep. um, it, was, it's, it was beautiful for God to really like start to take, dig into my heart, you know what I mean? And show me some of those, some of those things. And one of those was, that issue even of crying of what it is to be vulnerable etc and Mm -hmm. so you know i definitely you know see also the you know like you say we run as men from the whole issue of having somebody else to to speak to uh even counseling um mentorship all these different things and so i guess i want to just ask you as far as mentors right as far as having a person right a particular individual who may be not just not just friends right because i think we 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 kind of covered the, the need for having you know brothers in our mm-hmm. life and experience but what about somebody who is we're reaching up towards um how important is that and um if it is important how does somebody then go about finding that in their life and experience oh yeah ex- extremely important now what i want to say is uh, a mentor, I know a lot of times we think of a mentor like probably somebody that's older than you, but the mentor could be younger than you too. Mm-hmm. Definitely because that, that younger person could probably have more experience than you, you know what I mean? In any in any area, whether it's a relationships, business, uh, finances, whatever it is, they could have more experience than you. So never discount the person that's younger than you because they can definitely be your mentor. Along with that, the way you find a mentor when you're looking for a mentor, you're going to find a mentor. That's just, that's just what it is at the end of the day. If you're not people that, Oh yeah, I can't find anybody. It's like, cause you don't really want somebody for real. You know what I mean? You don't really want somebody for real, but you can definitely find a mentor wherever you are. And also take, take, and I want to, to, if someone is like kind of hesitant on really trying to find a mentor and just like, kind of like gaining the courage to find one, Listen, the best way to really start that process is social media. Hmm. I say that because there are, there is a, of course, there's a two-edged sword with social media, but there's some great people putting out some great stuff out there, like amazing type of content out there with whatever, like what we're talking about now, men being vulnerable, relationships, anything, 
and you can have a virtual mentor. You don't have to know them, but just following them, looking at their lives, seeing the things that they post, reading their stuff, that is that that can help you out as well until you can actually find someone that can be your mentor. Now, in order to find a like a physical mentor, I mean, some people, you know, they pay for it. Like they go to conferences, right? Like I remember I was always go to Eric Thomas conferences and I would meet like some amazing people. And I met this one good friend of mine. He's, he's, uh, he's like close to his fifties, married with kids and everything. He's someone that I could always talk to about anything. But that's because I put myself in a position where, and this is what you got to understand about mentors, right? When you find them, I'm going to go back just a little bit. When you're trying to find a mentor, really what you're saying is I value personal growth. And I understand that in order to get myself to the next level in whatever it is, I need to find somebody who is already there. So now you put yourself in spaces where you can find these type of people. So that's why I say pay for it. If you go to a conference, you know, you just start meeting people, you know, exchange numbers with people. You start, you never know what happens, you know, and I found that in a couple of people in these conferences that I would go to. Um, if any type of, of sports activities, uh, church, you know, and that's why I love, I, one of the things that I love about sports so much especially uh, Little League sports, because I had an opportunity a couple of years ago, 2018, to do some professional development or personal development for a Little League football team. They were around ages 11 to 14 years old. And the impact that I saw those coaches had on those boys, and they were like so involved in their lives. It was not just about football. I'm like, man, mentors right there. Mm -hmm. And even like there were younger guys who were on the coaching staff the older coaches were mentoring them. So even if you're volunteering somewhere, you know what I mean? You can find mentors in volunteering. So while you're trying to give back, you can find somebody that's going to give to you as well. I have a question. Um, do you think it's possible for, you know, um, a man to be happy if, if his woman um, doesn't think that um, him being vulnerable is weak, because, you know, I can think about like um, when I was in high school, I wrote this, um, this poem called um, Real Man Don't Cry. Mm -hmm. So your question is, if can your relationship be good if your partner doesn't think that what well, you got to kind of ask you that again in another way well if she if she thinks it's being like being vulnerable is is, is a sign of weakness oh if she feels as if vulnerability is mean is, is a sign of weakness yeah that's what oh, i said oh, oh, oh okay 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 got you um well you see the thing is your partner whoever that partner is if she feels that way she's played into that narrative as well that everybody else has played into that's the thing. And you have to show her that that's not true. And that was my experience with my wife, right? The exact same experience. It's like she, did, she believed, like, in theory, that vulnerability was good. But when it came down to actually being vulnerable in the beginning of our relationship, she didn't like it. 
because she didn't want to expose too much of herself. And if I'm exposing myself, that means I'm going to expose her too. And she didn't like that. However, after some time, she realized like, man, you know, you have a lot of good people in your life. People are always coming to you, always talking to you, always asking you for advice. Anytime, like literally, if I'm in a financial jam, I know I have a list of like 30, 40 people I can call and be like, hey, you know, I need some help. And there were no questions asked. They were like, okay, how much you need? I got you. Don't worry about paying it back anytime soon. But that's because I've made myself available. I've been vulnerable over the course of the years. I've invested emotionally in those relationships. So it's like people, they trust me and they, they love me. So when my wife sees, when she saw that over the years, she was like, she looked at herself. She's like, man, I don't really have that. Hmm. And I was like, well, it's the way that I move, you know, it's the way that I treat me. Like, I'm okay with just being open and honest with people. I'm okay with showing my full self hmm. as, as much as I can. And so now she started to see the benefit of it. And so she starts to embody that now. So it's just a matter of really sh them seeing or your partner seeing the benefit of being vulnerable. Those, um, those 30 or 40 people that you um, can pretty much... <clears throat> What's wrong, Adrian? No, go ahead, go ahead. Can I finish? <laughs> we waited for you. <laughs> Dude, go ahead. <clears throat> Hello? Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. No. <clears throat> Yo, I, I was going to say, um, I jump in there until Justin gets his question, um, you know, prepared. But um, <laughs> it, I, I just kind of, what you just said just kind of made me think back to the point of how does it affect not just relationships, but now it makes me think about life in general. Mm. Um, because I also think that our lack of vulnerability can affect every every area. Um, even as a person that's going into business, yeah. Um, look, being a business yeah. person requires you requires you right to be vulnerable. That's just absolutely. That's just, this is the end all be all, right? One hundred percent. And in this, you know, and then even in this technological world, right? Um, when you're putting stuff out there, look. To be honest, like it's it's a game of learning. I say failing and learning, right? You know what I'm saying? Until you get to that exact point, right? Until you get this product right, until you get this ideal uh, perfected in a sense, yeah, right? Yes, yeah. And so without being, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I said, yeah, I'm agreeing with you. I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I, so, I mean, it, it also makes me think about that too, because just talking mm -hmm. with other people and friends, et cetera, who are in that space, right? In that arena. The reality is not being your authentic self, right? Not being okay with who you are means that then people lack then doing ex everything that they could do because they, they fear, right? Mm -hmm. Something outside or even internal in themselves. So Bingo. I'm not even going to put this product out. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to try this idea. Not because like, it's not a good idea. Not because yep. it couldn't work. I mean, it could work, <laughs> it could fail, right? But you have to be vulnerable in order yeah. to actually see what's going to happen, right? You know what yep. I mean? And so it, it really makes me think about how in not just our, our personal lives and relationships and yep. not just the communication, mm -hmm. but in 
all aspects of our lives not being vulnerable can actually affect us negatively. Absolutely. You know? Like at the end of the day, based off of everything that you're saying, I could just think of one thing is like courage. In order to be courageous, there has to be vulnerability. Like being courageous and vulnerable, they're like, they're one and the same. Like they work hand in hand together. Like you have to be able, if you're going to be courageous, you got to say, look, I don't know everything. I don't claim to know everything. I don't do everything personally. Personally, I don't do everything well, but I'm here. I am. I'm going to show up. And if I show up, you're going to see all of my flaws. And that's one thing I tell people. I was like, man, if there's anything that causes someone to grow in life, I feel like there's three things that cause people to grow and be vulnerable in life is one, exercising, working out. You really see a lot about yourself and you have to face yourself in the mirror. You know, if you're trying to lose a certain amount of weight or gain a certain amount of weight, you know, having that conversation with yourself, it, it could be a very hard one. You realize you're not where you want to be or who you are, who you thought you were. Two, it's, it's, it's being in a relationship, being in a committed relationship. That thing will stretch the hell out of you. It will challenge you. It will make your emotions go up and down like, like a roller coaster. And then three is business. All those things require us a great level of courage and vulnerability. And like you said it, like you hit it on the money, like people, like for me, that's what I've, what I've experienced. I've been on this roller coaster ride trying to figure out, okay, what content am I going to be putting out there on social media? Um, what's the message I'm going to have? And I'm sitting here doing all this stuff for the past, literally since 2015. And I'm realizing I'm going through all these thoughts. I'm doing all these different things and I'm not narrowing things down. It's because I'm just not putting things out. I'm trying to focus on getting everything right. And it's like, no, you just have to do it. Because here's the thing. It's like there's a perception. Like, ah, I don't want to look like, I want to look like the expert. You mm. know, once you say, oh, I want to look like the expert, that's you not being willing to be vulnerable to show people like, hey, I'm figuring this out just like everybody else out there. And that's what life is, is all about. It's like just really figuring things out. And you have to give yourself, and here's the thing when I tell people, and we're dealing a lot with, with vulnerability in general, and just life in general. For many of us, we were not given the permission to make mistakes. We were not given the permission to be vulnerable. We, we have not been given the permission to fall down. We have not given, been given that permission since we were kids. Because ever since we were kids, there was this environment around us that, yo, you have to have everything. You got to look a certain way. You got to walk a certain way. You got to speak a certain way. And if you don't fall in this line, in this category, then it's kind of like you're going to be like the kind of black sheep type thing. Like, oh, yeah, you're not smart or you're not this. Mm -hmm. But as adults, you have to give yourself the permission to mess up. You have to give yourself the permission to be vulnerable. Give yourself that because until you give yourself that permission, you're always, you're, you're not going to get anywhere close to reaching your full potential. Nowhere close. So that's the thing that we need to be able to do. And a part of giving yourself that permission is just allowing other men in. Hmm. Allowing other men in. You got to. 
That's key, man. Go ahead, go ahead, Lionel. My brother, I mean, working out, committed relationship, and business. I, I know now why God is stretching me. Mercy. <laughs> the three things you named is the three things I'm involved in. And you ain't never lying when you said, man, if you is all these three will stretch, there's nothing that tell you, you mm-hmm. ain't really as committed as you thought you were like going to the mirror and seeing like, yeah, you, yeah I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't go to the gym the last week. Yeah, you didn't. Yep. And the mirror shows. So anyway. <laughs> go. If everything we talked about, all the, the tips and everything you've given, absolutely gold. And I know it's helped me, you know, and, and you know what it is, John. Mm-hmm. You've helped me personally many times in my mm-hmm. life. So I really, really appreciate that. And, and I'm glad that, you know, people can get to hear your experience um, and your your uh, expertise in, in this field. So we appreciate that. I don't know if you guys had, we have time maybe for one more question or comment real quick. Cool. Um, again, we want to thank you. Hey, can you let the people know where they can find you on social media? Um, if they want to get in contact with you, maybe even for, for counseling services, anything like that. How can oh, yeah. You- uh, no doubt. Um, you can find me at uh, johnothegiant.com. That's J-O-N-O, thegiant.com. Also, um, IG is where I put most of my content. Um, it's johnothegiant, same thing, J-O-N-O, the giant, I-G. And, um, yeah, you could definitely DM me. You can send me a message. I'm always messaging with people throughout the day, all the time. Um, and and it is, I, I encourage people to DM me, ask me questions, because that helps me to know the pulse of the people, what type mm-hmm. of, you know, what's going on, what do they need, what do they want to hear, um, what do they need help with, so on and so forth. Gotcha. And, look, we appreciate it again, man. And we definitely going to get you on another, another episode in the yeah. future. Oh, I also wanted to say, too, I wanted to say as well, I do offer a free 30-minute consultation for anybody who's first time coming to me just to give them a feel of how it is or what therapy really is because there's a lot of, you know, um, there's a big stigma on therapy still, even though it's getting better. And some people have had, you know, bad experiences with therapy. And I want to tell people this, look, if you've ever had a bad experience with therapy, if you didn't have a great experience with a therapist, don't just give it up. Okay. Don't just give it up because this is life. Sometimes you got to shop around. Yeah. Right. So if you, you, you sent your, you went to a restaurant, the restaurant wasn't good. You're not going to go back to that restaurant, but you're going to still go out to different restaurants. Yeah. You're not going to stop going out to restaurants. That's well, true. Your, me- your mechanic mess up your car. You know what I'm saying? If your mechanic mess up your car, you're not going to go back to that mechanic, but are you never going to go to a mechanic again? Yeah. So you got to look at it from that, to that perspective. And if it's not me, just give a great tip out there. If it's not me, when you go on these platforms, looking for therapists, psychology today, all these different platforms, always see and ask the person if they offer free consultation. Now, if they're like a like more experienced, bigger name, they probably won't, but if they offer free, th- free consultation, that's a good sign that they're really willing to like help you out as much as possible. You guys heard that free. I heard free. And I was like, I'm dialing on that. So there's free 30 minutes yeah. for the very first session. Yep. Advantage of it. Um, I'm sure many of us have things that we need to talk about, especially just off 2020 alone. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. My client case low risen, rose to the top 2020, man. I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. 
But um, hey guys, we appreciate you guys rocking with us for this this session. Uh, if you guys have any questions, you can feel feel free to hit us up, comment, um, send us DMs as well. Um, we really appreciate again, like I said, John of the Giant coming in and, and, and sharing these gems with us. Look forward for the next couple of podcasts we got coming up talking about uh, racist Christians. We got conspiracy theory uh, coming up talking about that and, and many other topics. So please stay tuned uh, for the next podcast in the future. Yeah. Good stuff. I appreciate you guys. Definitely um, hit us up. Um, get, get in contact with us. Of course, we're going to be starting soon on the Patreon page as well as showing you guys live videos as well too. So I know you guys are interested in that, but until next time, it's our point of view and we out.